So this is Mother's Day, and for the last few years, pastors asked me to to share on something I started in in 2010, just happened, called A Mother's Legacy. Um, You know, so everybody in here has a mom, so we have that in common. And if you're a a female, you either are a mom or you're a daughter or maybe both. (laughs) And, uh, you know, some Mother's Days maybe weren't always exciting for you, and maybe some were better than others, because if we've lived long enough, we've experienced wonderful times, but hard times. And one of uh, my hard Mother's Days was um, in 2006 when my mom moved to heaven just three weeks before Mother's Day. And I remember sitting in church. And uh, just the entire time, I have no idea what the pastor said, just tears ran down my face the entire time. And so then in 2010 was even, even a worst season in my life. It was more painful. It's what I, when I understood the phrase of fate worse than death. Um, so 2010, I didn't know I was going to speak on Mother's Day. We were actually out of town in Texas. You've been doing some meetings, and they asked me to ask us to stay over and me to do Mother's Day service Sunday morning, and so I wasn't even prepared. So I went in the hotel room, and I just talked to the Lord about, you know, the, this, the situation we had found ourselves in, and that season of our life was very painful. I was in another state. Pastor Josh was here in Bible school. Uh, John was somewhere else, and um, I just asked the Lord, who am I? you know, on this Mother's Day. And I wasn't asking him how some people might thought. I wasn't asking him, who am I as a mother? Who am I as, as, as a wife, a sister, a daughter, a friend? I was asking him, who am I as a Christian? Um, you know, and what legacy am I leaving? Because whether you know it or not, you're leaving a legacy every day of your life. And you have to decide what legacy you want to leave. You don't have to leave it to the end for other people to decide what legacy you left them or what, you know, they want to write on your tombstone. If you just say, I understand that I'm leaving a legacy and I have the opportunity to choose. And so maybe you weren't aware of that and maybe you haven't chosen the legacy that you're going to leave yet, but we could do that today. Right here, right now, you could decide the legacy. It doesn't really matter where you started. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you feel like you had a good mom or didn't have one or you've been one or you're, you may, maybe you're going to be one. It doesn't matter where you started. It just matters where you decide that you're going to finish. And, and you can decide that today. And so I, I preached a mother's legacy that, that, that Mother's Day in 2010 in Texas, and then we had the church uh, the next year. And so I began here, and it, it started out with a leg, what is the legacy that I most want to leave? Not just to my children and grandchildren, but you're leaving a legacy to everyone behind you. The Bible says the older women teach the younger women. I mean, in other words, whatever you're in front of people, anybody younger than you is behind you. And so whether you feel like you had a good example or you had a mentor, it doesn't matter. You can be that for somebody else. You can be that for everybody that's behind you, whether you're 20 and people behind you are 15 or you're, you're 50 and, and those younger behind you. And so it was a legacy of the word. Because if I could leave one thing, um, the most important thing, the survival kit, I would leave the word. The same thing Jesus decided that that we would all need to to have everything we need. And then it was a legacy of gratitude in 2012. And in 2013, a legacy of following. In 2014, a legacy of a sound mind. In 2015, uh, a legacy of truth. And today, uh, the Holy Ghost asked me to talk to you about a legacy of spiritual things. Because spiritual things are the only things that remain. 
They're the things that pertain not only to your success in this life, but in the life to come. And when, the, when Proverbs asks um, a man to leave an inheritance to his children's children, that translates a spiritual inheritance. Amen. It's great to leave uh, mom to leave your dishes and your teacups and, and other things. It's great to leave you know, a house or those type of things. Those are not legacies corporations, uh, uh, companies, things with your names on them, endowment, those are not legacies. They are the things that the world calls a legacy, but they're not what God calls a legacy. Uh, You're the legacy that that you're leaving, the life that, that you choose to live so that you make a path for the people behind you. So if there wasn't anybody in front of you, get your machete out and cut that path so that those that, that come behind you have it easier. And so we're going to leave a legacy to all those behind us uh, of spiritual things, because those are the only things that are going to remain. Amen? Amen. So uh, I've never talked to you about this subject. I just want to touch on it lightly, but uh, raising your family in the church, you know, because that's something in our society today that's actually become uh, abnormal, but church is God's normal. And so uh, having our families in church is very uncommon, even for people in the body of Christ that say they're Christians, they don't prioritize uh, church anymore. And so you need to raise, you want to raise your children, whether you're raising your children, you're raising your grandchildren, or you're an aunt, or you're just a spiritual mom. Uh, to me, all the kids here are like my kids. I, ta- I treat them all like my kids. If they, if they need to be corrected, I correct them. They need to be hugged, we, we hug them. And we have a good time when, when we're together, and they definitely know that, that I love them. And um, so what is the role of the local church in the life of the family? And, and I think it's just even generally untaught. We're living in a generation of people that are not only unchurched, but even people my age and older, they may not have grown up in church at all. So what is the role of the, of a, the local church in the life of a family? It's the cog in the wheel. It's the pivot point. It is the center of the flow of everything that's coming out of your life. It's not compartmentalized just to be set over here in something we do on Sunday. I know in our 20 years of ministry, we've had people say they, were, they felt like that they needed to move or wanted to go to another state or location. It may have been for a job. It may have been for relatives um, for some reason. And they it almost never mention a church. Every time that we've moved, we've picked up everything. It's cost us everything to go. It was specifically for a church. It was the center of our life. Whatever else, we didn't know when we moved to Raymond where we were going to work. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't have a... We didn't have a, a apartment picked out. We pulled in, uh, went across the street, ordered a pizza, and got an apartment guide out of the convenience store and sat down in the hotel and thought, well, where are we going to live? Hadn't been there, didn't know, didn't care about that, didn't know how we were going to have an income. God just said, take all your equipment, you're going to start over. Uh, we had given our business away. When we moved to Chicago, same thing. I had one weekend to find a, a, a condo, flew up there without Dr. Jack, at a condo that was outrageous, 1900 bucks. We had only paid 600 in Tulsa. Now I had to pay ni- 1900 with a $60,000 cut in income. That was exciting. And so, um, you know, but it was specifically going there for a church. I didn't know where I was going to work. The Lord only gave me a partial instruction. He said, you're not going to start your business again. You're going to work for somebody else. And he had to tell me that because I'd been self-employed most of my life, and that was kind of odd. Um, and, but it was specifically for that. So who our friends were going to be, where we were going to live, wh- how we were going to eat, what we were going to do for a living did not matter. The church mattered, and so we centered our life around that. And, and that was long before that you could have said that you're, you're in the ministry. That, that was before that. That was pre-Bible school. 
And even when we, we were attending a church prior to leaving the state of Florida and going to Bible school, that, it, it was the center. It didn't occur to us to be doing other things on, on the weekends. We were down 80 hours a week in our business and another 20 at the church. And, and when we cut back at our business, it was to work more at the church for free. And uh, so w- what is the role of the church? It's the pivot point. It's the connection of the supply. It's like a military. You're, you're in company A, unit 20. It's where God has placed you, so therefore there is a supply for you. There's a supply for your, your emotional needs, for friendship, for fellowship. There's a supply for your uh, financial needs through the teaching and through opportunities to sow and, and being a blessing to each other. The supply is there for all the other things that will flow out from your life, where you work, your house. And, and those of you that have connected into that with all your testimonies, you would say the same thing, that since you've made the church the cog in the wheel, not the be-all and end-all, but the cog in the wheel, the spokes, the, the car, the house, the career, the, the money, the, the marriage relationships have all spoked off of that supply. In other words, that cog has fed all those areas and increased those areas. But before you had decided to do it that way, nothing was working. The, there were spokes missing. The wheel wasn't turning. And so uh, the Bible speaks much of, of that being the center. It, it, this is God's normal. And I hear a lot of parents today saying, well, I give my kids options. They're teenagers. Their frontal lobe is not formed until they're 22. So giving people decisions under that age, you're not being helpful. You're actually being hurtful. Um, and the reason that we assist people in making good decisions is because they don't have the ability to do that. So saying to give a 14-year-old, and I'm just going to be real bold. You don't have to uh, like what I have to say today or, or um, you know, buy into the, the words value system. It's okay. I love you, so I'm just going to talk uh, like a mama to all of you today, okay? And uh, so they're giving children uh, decisions about that are life-altering for eternity at the ages of 14, 15, and 16. You're not being a blessing to them. And so, yeah, they're going to fight you on it, but you are authorized to win. So just stay in that position. You win. And even if they're mad at you, uh, one day they'll, they'll get over it. It might be about 30 because I figured out a lot of things. I uh, figured out my parents got smarter as I got older. Uh, <laughs> And you just, you, they'll get a different perspective, so you'll just have to wait that out. But um, we don't give people options to sleep, to eat, to bathe, hopefully. Um, and so these things are not options. It, is not, it was not a discussion in our home whether we were going to church or not. It was what time, how early were we going to be for whatever we needed to go serve. It was never, it wasn't even a thought. And, and growing up with a pastor, except for the part, the few years that, that we decided to take off and dance on top of the bar, uh, it wasn't a discussion. The boys uh, were not given the option to go to church, and it wasn't just so, do you want to go to church? It's Sunday night or not. It, it wasn't an option. The same way brushing your teeth was not an option, going to bed or bathing were not options, because this is God's normal. So this is God's house, and we treated it like we had a standing invitation. Every Sunday was God's day, and it's like people say, well, we go, we have family dinner every Thursday night. Well, we have family dinner here. In fact, we spend all day at dad's house, at at father's house. We come in, we play, we fellowship, we have fun, we love on each other, we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sunday is father's day, is our father's day, and what we do is we always invited all of our relatives or our friends to join that. And so God's being in God's house on Sunday, he said was normal. He gave us a standing invitation. I I cannot imagine saying, hey, God, thanks for the invite, but we're going to the beach today. I don't mean that you you don't have a vacation every now and then, but just the regularity of that, it would be a foreign concept. It's like when pastor is invited people out and they got something better to do. 
I was like, okay, so they don't value spending, spending time with you. Whenever my pastor gave me an invitation, I, I dropped everything because I, I valued that opportunity. Um, so is it going to take faith? Yes, all, all things take faith. So it's going to take faith. You're going to have to put some effort into it, and everything and everyone is going to oppose that because if anything happens or goes wrong, whether your pantyhose rips or we get in an argument, it's Sunday. It's, <laughs> it's Sunday morning, and some people think stuff happens on Monday. Uh, write it down. Way more things happen to keep you from doing what you need to do on Sunday than Monday. But you know what? The, the local church is going to be the one thing that's irreplaceable in your kid's life. If you didn't, couldn't get them an iPhone, they'll live. You know, let's say you couldn't put enough money away from college, they'll be all right. What's going to be irreplaceable in their life is you keeping them in the local church on a regular basis because you've cut off the supply of their life. Those, all those things would be added unto them if you, all you had to do was teach them to seek first the kingdom of God. And then Jesus gets to do the job of adding. It's not even your job. It's our responsibility to train them. How many of you figured out that your kids or your grandkids weren't born knowing? They weren't, <laughs> they didn't come with this instruction manual. I remember when I was pregnant with uh, John, our oldest, that uh, I, I research everything. I don't buy a coffee pot without two hours of research. It's, it's not a burden to me. I enjoy it. I want to make sure that if I get one, there's not one I would have liked better. It just annoys me <laughs> if, I, if that happens to me. And so I had this huge stack of, of books because I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do with a kid. I wasn't raised around kids. I didn't even really babysit. So I'm like, I'm this kid and I'm going to have a kid and I, I don't know what to do. So I needed manuals, and I had a, a stack literally this tall. And I read them all, and still, <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't want them to send me home from the hospital with this child. Because I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. It's just so they don't come with a manual. It's just something you figure out. But um, thank God we have the Word as an instruction manual, and we are to train them up. Let me read to you what the definition of training means. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. But let's look at it in the Greek. Train up means this, to properly narrow or discipline their way. So you're to create some boundaries. And, the, and, and Matthew says the way is made narrow that leads to life. So it's okay for you to have a narrow path. It actually says made narrow by pressure, but that translates compression, which means the compression is top to bottom and side to side. So are, should you be boxing them in according to the word of God? In other words, this is the path. Now what they do after 18 or when they're not in your home, because if they're 30 and they're still in their home, that's your house, your rules. Uh, you're, you're, you're to compress them on the way of life so that when they turn 18, they can make the, or 21, whatever it is, they'll make the decision where they want to serve God or not. But you, you are not to vacate your position of compressing their narrow way of life and keeping them on that path. If everybody tells you you're wrong or society, the, the, the teacher, your neighbor tells you you're controlling it, zip it. Yeah, unless they're paying the bills. If they're writing the checks for your phone bill, the light bill, your kid's clothes, and all that, in other words, money talks right then, and that money has the answer. So people don't have to have an opinion uh, for, for how you're raising your kids, if you're raising them according to where I know it's not popular to raise kids according to the, the precepts of the word, but it says to properly narrow or discipline a child or servant. That means someone that you're raising that maybe is not related to you or that lives in your home. In the way they should go, this, this is what you were to train in the Greek, their mouth, their portion, command, and the mind. You were to train their mind, you were to train their mouth, and you were to train up their portion. In other words, you were to teach them that their portion was the Lord. 
and that he was sufficient and what their portion would be, and that through him all things were possible. And anything they needed or anything they wanted, the desire of their heart, it was God that was the need meter. Parents have three obligations, a roof over your head, food in your mouth, and clothing on your back. Anything else is up to your faith. And, and your job as a parent is to train their faith, train them who is their source of supply and where they are to obtain their portion. So when it's time for them to obtain the portion between them and God, they know how to do it, and they're not all of a sudden learning. Now, again, whether we, we did this wrong, it doesn't matter. Like, my kids are growing up. Don't get, get condemned. It's not about that because there's a lot of people still behind you in the rest of your life, and today is a fresh start. We're just going to do it starting today, right? Amen? The past does not matter. Um, when he is old, he will not depart from it, keeping with his individual gift or bent. So let me read the, the commentary. The instruction of children to the propagating of wisdom, that it may not die with the instructor. In other words, you are to impart wisdom so that wisdom doesn't die with you. Now, they don't always like wisdom the same way they don't like Brussels sprouts. Yeah. And so you have to ask them. Your point is? Okay, we're feeding wisdom and they're eating wisdom. Like doesn't come in, like doesn't factor into this, does it? Train up children to keep them from the sins and snares in that learning age to prepare them for what they are designed for. Keep them under discipline. Train them as soldiers who are taught to handle their weapons. Keep rank and observe the word of command. Train them up, not in the way they would go, the bias of their corrupt hearts, but in the way they should go, the way in which if you love them, you would have them go. Train up a child with a gentle hand as nurses feed children, little and often. When they grow up, when they grow old, it is to be hoped they will not depart from it. Good impressions made upon them will abide upon them all their days. Ordinarily, the vessel retains the savor with which it was first seasoned. Many indeed have departed from the good way in which they were trained up. Solomon himself did so, but early training may be a means for their recovering themselves as it is supposed that Solomon did. At least the parents will have the comfort of having done their duty and use the means. You are not responsible as a parent or a grandparent for the outcome of your children's lives once they're an adult and they make decisions. So there are those of us that said, well, we trained our ch- children up in the way they should go, and it looks like they've departed. Well, just because it looks like that doesn't make it so. And it's, it's not over until it's over, and God has the last say. But um, if, if we do our responsibility or we start now doing our responsibility, we can trust God to do the rest. He can't force anybody to do anything because they have a free will. So we're not responsible for the outcome of things. We are responsible for our own personal right actions. So if we have, if, if someone was divorced and there were other parents involved or step-parents, you're also not responsible for those other adults. You're only responsible for what you do according to the word of God. Each of us will stand before the judgment seat alone for the responsibility that God has given us. And that's where your faith comes in for your children. You don't have to fear that somebody is or is not doing something uh, that, that's along the lines of what you would want or you think is right according to the word. There, trust God. You do right, and, and God will make up the rest. Uh, the, the next thing is uh, have them serve with you. 
You know, serving, serving in the local church, again, was not an option. I, I never saw a service, I don't remember one, that my father wasn't serving. We just, it, 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 was, it was our normal. He was ushering, he was doing whatever. In our home, the conversation from my mom was always what we were doing at the bazaar. How are we going to help? How are we going to be a blessing with someone's children or someone that needed a meal? There was absolutely, in my home, zero gossip. To the point that if I said something about another person that was good, my mama would stop me. She was extreme in that way, and thank God. She didn't want you talking about people, period, even though it was good. Because my mom was trying to learn. And so, yes, the pendulum swung to the other extreme uh, when someone's in effort to do right until that thing will balance in itself in the middle. And so I was able to be a little bit more balanced with my kids. But isn't that what we all want? Our parents did the best they could, we were to do better, and my kids will do even better, although I'm going to be an awesome grandparent. (laughs) I figured out everything to do or not do. (laughs) That's what grandparenting is for, right? The opportunity to get it right. Have them serve with you. Uh, Teach them why you're early and, and why you stay late. And what is their part? No, they can't maybe stand at the front door of church and greet, or uh, you know, your son maybe can't usher with you. But this is what we taught our boys to be their part, how they conducted themselves in the household. You got up and you helped with breakfast on Sunday morning. We got our clothes out on Saturday night. And they understood that they had a part to play in the preparation of the home for our family to serve together. We may have got to church and had a different role. Their main role at church was not to... to call, get me called out of church to use the ping pong paddle. Oh, no, that's your main job at church, not to have somebody else call me out of whatever I'm doing because I got to go deal with what, what you're not doing. So they, they were taught their contribution. It was different, but so it's totally normal to our, our, both of our children and all, all three of them uh, to, to serve and, and to serve uh, without limits. There, there weren't any limits set in our home. So uh, service was what we called our reasonable service. Anybody needed anything, we, we considered it reasonable because God said it was reasonable. There was no, no request that was counted as unreasonable. So they need to, need to fill apart. Church is the highlight of the week. Here's where we have difficulty. We have calendars and we fit church into them around work and school and sports. Church goes on the calendar first. All the church events went on the calendar and anything else fit around that. And for some reason, we managed to be involved in sports and dance and drama and and music lessons and saxophone, all all sorts of things. Pets, uh, there was no shortage, even even the years that our boys were homeschooled. In fact, uh, they probably had greater liberty because we centered everything around the church because it was a safety net. I didn't have to be so concerned about certain environments. So they probably got to do more things with more people because uh, the church events went on the calendar first. And they would tell you, they weren't kept from anything. They didn't feel cheated from any of those things in, in life. And so Joshua twenty four fifteen says this, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve. In other words, if it seems evil, in other words, if it seems good for nothing to you to serve, then choose what you're going to serve. In other words, you don't have an option not to serve something. You're going to serve something in somebody. You get to choose or it's automatically chosen for you. And, and, and this is in the Old Testament. What you're going to serve, what you're going to work, you're going to dress and labor for. The Lord choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were other, on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And this word house was interesting because it said family, 
courts within and without. So we always considered, look, from us in our house, our household, if you dwelled in our house, we had Bible school students live with us at some point. We are in Tulsa. We've had different people uh, live with us. So us and our household, whether they're related to us or not, us and our house, you serve God. You didn't get, stay home from church while we went and, and you ate all the ice cream sandwiches in the freezer while we were gone. <laughs> and so, um, and that also extended to business. It extended to every arena of our authority in business. Other relatives that said, hey, we're going to do this on Sunday. We'll see you at one. I don't care if you're starting at 10. We'll see you at 1. We always invited them, but our, whatever we touched and encompassed, whether we, we, had, we had employees in our business or anything, uh, we said us in, in our household. It was really hard for you to stay part of our quote-unquote Greek household when you didn't want to serve God. You didn't stay around very long. But we influenced as wide and as broad as we could for their betterment. Uh, family time. We, I hear this a lot. Well, we have to have family time. It's interesting to me that it's always during God's time and not on your own time. But, but here's, let's just look at what the Lord said of it. The Lord said the body of Christ is your family, that you could invite your relatives and your friends to be a part of that. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12. He answered and said unto him that told him, who is my mother? They said, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to speak to you. And Jesus was in the middle of a church service. He was in the middle of ministering to people. And he asked them a question because he wanted to teach us principle. He said, who are my mother and brothers? They were physically, literally standing outside the door wanting to talk to him. That tells me they had no sense of the importance of who he was or what he was doing to interrupt him ministering. Hey, we want to say something to you. They had no concept of the, the needs he was meeting or, or who he was. So your family may not recognize the importance of, of how you view God. They won't understand it. In fact, most families will tear it down and pick it apart. But that doesn't mean that you should adopt their, their viewpoint. Stick with yours. He answered, he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He stretched forth his hand to his disciples and he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. Right here. He said, so the family of God... Blood, the blood of Jesus' body, is thicker than water, the water that your cellular DNA flows through. And so there's family. God said, family is me. Family is my family. If you'll prioritize my family, I'll take care of your relatives. So you might be related to people, but th- it was okay to prioritize the house of God and invite all of your relatives to be a part of the blessing. They are not cheated. They think they're cheated by you giving things to God. But because you stood for God, because there's people in a family that serve for God, they don't understand, but they one day will. They're even alive and are blessed because they have a little bit of sprinkle and overflow. And the closer they move to you and the things of God, the more they'll partake of the blessing. And some of them are figuring that out because this church stands in prayer. One of the things that we're standing for on our list of 2016 is every lost loved one coming into the household of God. Because when I looked over graduation last year, the LCU graduation, I was standing up here, and the Lord said, look at the congregation. I want you to look at each graduate. Each one of those graduates was the one and only family member in their household serving God. And the reason that some of those people were even saved and present in that building was that one light in the darkness. And so that's the way it might look right now, but that's not how it's going to end up. Amen, because those people are coming in. But it's because of your stand and your willingness not to compromise. So uh, in the Greek, Matthew 12, 48 and 49, when Jesus said, these are my mother, that is a literal translation, not figurative. He would say, it translates in the Greek literally, that's my brother, that's my mother, 
that's my mother, that's my brother. It was literal. It wasn't a figurative, oh, these are his family. No, he said, this is literally what I'm saying to you. The people related to you, God doesn't see them. He doesn't see them as less important or less valued or less loved, but he doesn't see them as your family until they have the blood of Christ flowing through their veins. But that's what you, and you need to understand that about the word of God, because he loved them so much he died for them, but they are not family to him yet. He wants them to be. And the reason he wants you to stay strong and stay alight is so that they can be. He doesn't want them to have the influence on you to change you because they're the majority right now. With God, you are the, you, you are the majority. <laughs> the minority becomes the majority through the entire word of God. Uh, in our society, members of family that attend a church within a family unit are in the minority. You'll have to choose to lead rather than to follow. Uh, we have a standing family day, you know, here at, we have an invitation to eat. Uh, I personally wouldn't miss it for the world or any person in it. And I'm not saying, don't mis- misquote me on this podcast, <laughs> um, that, that you don't need a vacation or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the just regularly taking it or leaving it the house of God invitation. Uh, number five, how about being the best sheep that your kids can see? You know, I I was telling a mother last week, your kids aren't paying any attention to what you're saying. None of our kids pay any attention to what we say. Proof is we'll say something 2,000 times, their teacher will come along and say it once, and they act like the first time they ever heard it. (laughs) And so they're watching everything you do, though. They're going to become what you're showing them. And so we didn't tell our boys to be one way with their relationship with God. In other words, we were the best sheep pre-ministry, and when we went into ministry, we doubled up our good sheep example. So we were the best, we needed to be the best sheep our kids saw. And and our kids are are the best, they're going to be the best sheep that you all see. Because uh, that's how they were raised up by by each of their parents. Uh, Kate Kate has wonderful parents, as as you all have had to spend some time with them recently and enjoyed that very much. Um, especially as ministers, we were, we served, we were first to leave. I mean, we were the first there and the last to leave, were we not for years? And this was pre-ministry and pre-Bible school. And we never, ever changed that. We just couldn't wait to see what we could do to, to be helpful. And, you know, when Dr. Jack started to travel, I know a lot of women might have challenges that I, I didn't view it as a burden or a challenge. I viewed it as my reasonable service to keep everything going. Not only did it stay going, sometimes it went better. We got more work done because like, this is what we're doing. And so I put the drill sergeant hat on. And, uh, and, so we, and, and to this day, it's still that way. When pastor goes out of town, we get more, sometimes more things done. What can we do? What can we hurry up and get done so when he gets back, uh, we've gone forward and we've been a blessing and we can accelerate to where he's trying to get. And so it was not a burden. Uh, and I know some people might say, well, that's a personality thing. No, it wasn't. It was a decision thing. And some, it was actually hard on the flip side. It was hard when he came back uh, for me to turn that switch off. And to, by the time I figured how to downshift, he was gone again. So it was a really, really difficult time to go back and forth. But, but, but I taught the boys. We, I never told them, you know, this is your lot in life. This is your sacrifice you get to make for God that your daddy's on the road or that you have to go with, with your dad and you don't get to see me. We didn't have those conversations. This was exciting. This was our opportunity. So, and this was our reasonable service. So we didn't sit around watching TV and find out. I didn't have to take him to the carnival. Oh, daddy's gone again. We're going to go, but don't worry. Mama's going to take you for ice cream. No, mama's going to put a paintbrush in your hand and we're getting the whole house painted <laughs> this weekend. And no, you're not sleeping until it's done, <laughs> but I will order you a pizza. Yeah. All you can eat buffet. 
And so uh, I, we did not consider that a burden or a hardship. We taught this to the boys, and, and today we hold the fort down when he's gone. Number six, keep your kids under the word and the spirit and the anointing. This is the place that when you have them in a place that the word and the spirit, as they're being brought up, God speaks to their heart. He, he deals with their thoughts. He deals with their hearts. He, guide, he guides them. This, this body is in partnership with you. It takes a village to, to raise kids today. So you can keep them under the word and the spirit. Um, God's not doing that down at the mall on Sunday. Uh, the reason we have the kids in here from time to time, the Faith Academy kids at least once a month, and sometimes the younger kids, is because they need to know their pastor. They don't need to grow up all their life without a pastor. Have them bring their Bibles in the church. Show them how to use that that Bible. And so let them see what worship is like. Let them see their moms and dads and the congregation worshiping. So when they're 18, they've had a pastor all their lives, and when they have some hardships, they're used to talking to their pastors. They're used to talking to the leadership because you value that and you had them connected to that. They weren't disconnected either somewhere else at the mall or just back in the children's ministry, and they never were connected to this body of people that were imparting into their lives. Amen. If you talk negatively about anyone in your church, it doesn't matter, because I know this is a podcast and this will go far and wide. Um, so I'm not just speaking to this body, but if you have conversations that are negative about the body of Christ, either the people that you attend church with or the body of Christ TV ministers, you will hinder your children from receiving the word in the spirit. So if you got a problem, do Matthew 18, 15, keep your mouth shut and go to the person and fix it. But never, it was never discussed in my home. And I didn't even know there were problems in the church till later. (laughs) More problems there than outside though. Now, um, because you will keep your kids from receiving. Let me just tell you a secret. I always know how people view us and talk about us in their home by how their children are. There are children that run up and hug us. People say, well, your personality is a little off-putting, people a little scared of you. No, they're not. Because the, the three-year-olds, the four-year-olds, the five-year-olds, and the six-year-olds, and the seven-year-olds, and the eight-year-olds, and the Faith Academy, they're not the least bit afraid of me because they actually are too young to think that love is marshmallow cream. They know what real love is when they see it until they're taught otherwise later on. And so uh, if you talk negatively about the things of God, the people of God, even people on TV that you don't even know, you will hinder your children not only from receiving from those individuals, but they will grow up with a bad taste in their mouth about the body of Christ. And God will hold you responsible for teaching them that that was not a source of supply because you had some personal issues. Deal with your personal issues. Not saying that you won't have them, but that is not the thing to air in, in front of your kids. And, and, and we, if we've all been there, we've all done that. But that doesn't mean we can't learn something today, new revelation, right? And we can go forward and we can fix this. When, when we made a mistake in our house, we didn't hide it from our kids. We grew up apologizing. How do your kids know how to say, I'm sorry? How do they know how to respect and honor by you modeling it? So we'd say, Josh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that or shouldn't have done that. or That wasn't the right thing. And so we've always told them, whatever I'm learning at 48, you're learning at 28. Whatever I learned at 40, he learned at 20. So whatever we learned, we immediately passed on to them. And we let them see our press. We didn't make everything look like it was perfect. We said, hey, you saw me bust it up, and this is how you clean it up. And so when they made a mess, they, they were taught, how do you fix it? And it's not sorry. We, don't be sorry. Be what? Amen. Different. 
and clean it up. Sorry or apologies or please forgive me. We never ended there. You clean this mess up, whether it's a natural one or a personal one, and then you go and you recompense. You repay, you restore, you make right, you fix it. Sorry isn't enough. Sorry and forgive me, I'm going to do this to fix it. You fix it for that person. You either clean the salad dressing up off the floor where you, where you broke the bottle, but if you broke somebody's heart, you don't just go say, I'm sorry. There's a way that you go beyond that and fix it. So we're not just sorry, we were going to be different. And so they, you don't need to be perfect. You just have to model how you do something when you do it wrong. How do you repent? How do you clean your mess up? And then how do you make it right? And how do you try better the next time? And if you do it a hundred times, don't hide that from them. Let them see the process of going boldly before the throne. We, go, we don't go boldly before the throne because we've already asked for forgiveness. Oh, now I can go step up and go, okay, daddy, I repented. Now I can say, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. No, you go dirty. Look at me. Oh my gosh, I broke it again. I'm a mess. I'm covered in mud. You go boldly before the throne for a shower. You don't get showered and then go boldly before the throne because you have confidence because you've done nothing wrong. No, you have confidence that I'm going through the car wash. Woo, one more time. And on the other side of the car wash, okay, thank you, Daddy, for fixing that. Daddy, can you fix this one more time? And that's how we remain bold. So keep your kids under the word and the spirit. You know, no family, the body of Christ is a family. There is no family that's perfect. (laughs) Because the minute we all walked in here, it became imperfect if it was before. So this family is not made up of perfect people and perfect things aren't going to go on here. Everything thought isn't going to be perfect. Everything said, everything done. And and you know more than the person sitting next to you. But there doesn't have to be perfection there, right? You were to bring your faith. You were to bring your talents. You were to bring your, your gift to the body of Christ, not to criticize. There's nothing noble about finding dirt. It's everywhere. But, but it's a little bit more challenging to find what's good and right about a family and everything uh, that's going on around you. Amen? Amen? Okay. So keep them acquainted with the spiritual leaders and other authority in, in their life. Teach them how to honor so they can receive. Back up the authority in your kid's life. If your teacher comes to you, a teacher comes and says, your, Johnny did so-and-so, uh, I would be like, you did what? I'm going to hear the side of their story, but I didn't, wasn't one of those parents that, oh my, you can't touch my kids. They can do no wrong. And how dare you say anything? You know, I know they're not perfect, you know, but there, there are two sides. And so as they got, when they were younger, we just took their word for an older, like you got something to explain because you're going to, we're going to fix this. If this is what they said, you're going to fix this. And we're going to talk about that. Back up the authority in their life. Even if you think the authority is wrong, don't teach your kids to be questioning and defiant and rebellious against teachers. There, the, the people in the body of Christ is you need the authority. You need the teachers. You need the coaches. You need the policemen. You need the children's workers. You need other pair of eyes. I couldn't have my eyes on my kids all the time. I counted on other people to say, John was doing this, you know, or Josh was, do, was doing that. Sometimes I could see it. They're doing it right on the front row while I'm up, uh, at the front. So I had to get the ping pong paddle and <laughs> take them next door and everybody heard it. Uh, and, and we come back and we sit down. We, we, we would deal with it. But you need people. Don't be one of those parents that nobody can tell you anything about, about your little Johnny or Susie because they're perfect because you raise an adult that nobody will want to be around. You're not doing them a favor. You raise an adult that nobody likes that's going to be abandoned and rejected by people because they don't know how to conduct themselves. The, you've taught them that the universe revolves around them. And one thing that we taught our boys is that the universe did not 
mine, their dads, gods, or anybody else's did not revolve around them. In fact, you were born into the earth to be a part of this universe to serve and and leave it better when you left. So they didn't have the concept of entitlement with anything. They weren't entitled to things. And that's important to raise your kids. In other words, you were born, and the moment you started breathing, we were to train you up in the way you should go. And that is of a son, a soldier, and a servant. So nothing revolves around that type of person. So whether they did or did not get an iPhone or whatever, the the world didn't revolve around them. That's why when things happened or didn't happen and circumstantially, nothing changed their world. Nothing changed their destiny. So they were solid and stable because they, they thought they were here to serve other people. So uh, get, let them get to know the authority in their lives. It takes a village. Um, their dad always told them, uh, the Holy Ghost is going to show it up. Now, whether the Holy Ghost told us directly or he told it through the person next door, <laughs> the Holy Ghost was going to show it up. Did we not tell you that? Whatever you're doing, the Holy Ghost is, is, is going to show it up. And uh, so anything in darkness is going to be revealed. So you need the authority in your kid's life. Keep them well acquainted with them. Um, church and Christianity is not a Sunday sermon for our kids, is it? Amen. It's a lifestyle we're modeling. We come in here to actually get filled up because of all that we did for the world, for the lost, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our boss. We poured out, so we came into fellowship and built each other up. This was the filling station, but the six other days of the week is when you were actually modeling that Christianity that they were hearing. And so if a child is sitting there and they're hearing one thing come from the children's minister or the pastor, and then they're seeing something else modeled, 24 hours a day, you know, 24 hours a day, the other six or seven days a week, that's not going to jive with their mind. Their psychology is, is not going to be able to accept that because they're watching what you do, not what you say. You know, choose and guard their fellowship. It is okay for you to um, n- not to allow some fellowships or acquaintances or relationships in your children's life. And, and they might have something to say about that. But we guarded their fellowship. In other words, I, I kind of grew up, again, my mom was trying to do the right thing because she had just learned. And so I didn't get to go to people's houses and do things, but they also didn't really get to come to mine either. So with my children, is, is I'm not a huge fan of, of lots of chaos and commotion and dirt in my house, but um, I always had their fr- friends come over. Because I would prefer that going on in my house than them being somewhere until they were of a certain age that I was confident that they could take care of themselves. And usually they were together. So I remember even when they were little, they didn't go to the bathroom in a public place alone. They they both had to go together. Or if they were on the road with their dad and they were sleeping in separate quarters from him, they had to, you know, stay together and watch out for each other. And so it's important that you guard their fellowship. Um... If somebody comes to the front door that you don't know and they knock on your door and they ring the doorbell six times, are you obligated to answer? No. So every person that wants in your kid's life, you don't have to allow. You are, you are authorized to be the gatekeeper. You can tell them, sorry, you can't be friends with them. You can love them and you can serve them, but you're not being their friend. They don't qualify for that association because the word says you're going to become like those you hang around. It's not okay with us that you become like that. So that is how you help them. It's not a judgment of people. It's a judgment of uh, circumstances. That is how you help them become adults and choose right associations and relationships for them. So you're not being mean to them. You're actually doing what God asks you to do. You're guarding their fellowship and you're helping them to know biblically to recognize who God has sent to bless their life and who Satan has sent to curse their life. 
And you have to model that whether they get angry with you or not. And people say, well, you know, what about, uh, you know, do you ever go in their room and should they have their privacy? Uh, That's my room. I pay the mortgage on that room. Those Chester drawers, they're borrowing them from me. (laughs) That's my Chester. You need to be their Facebook buddy and their Twitter twit friend and their, their, their Snapchat person. Um, you better have all their passcodes. You know, in my house, the TV was in the family room and the phone was in the den. You didn't need to be watching or doing anything that needed, you didn't need privacy. Why? They've been invading my privacy since the day they were born. <laughs> so paybacks, invade their privacy. That's all, all that's mine. It belongs, belongs to me. And if you want to have something of your own, you do that. We were, I always told John he wanted a dog. As soon as you get your own place, have at it. And he did for a few months. Yeah, I'm like, that won't last long. Because <laughs> he, he liked clean more than he liked dog. Uh, so guard their fellowship. Um, you know, watch over that carefully. We're not rejecting a, of people, but um, they need to be, know how to choose friends that are going the same way that they're going. Your personal fellowship with God. Uh, we can say as moms sometimes or grandmothers, we think, my gosh, there's not enough hours in the day. And as, as time nears the end of the line, the sands are going quicker through the hourglass to the point where scientists have uh, recently said they thought they miscalculated a 24-hour day into a 22-hour day. Maybe they should have thought, said the day is 20. They weren't wrong. Time speeds up as it gets to the end, does it not? So even though we still have 24 hours, those days are going by faster. And you might feel like, I don't have all this time to spend, you know, two hours, you know, 30 minutes of prayer, 30 minutes of the Lord. You have to be creative. And so we, we, when you, I hit the shower, it's, there's a, a prayer of consecration in the shower. If I'm dishes or vacuuming or anything or putting your makeup on or driving down the road, it's a lifestyle. We're worshiping God. We listen to Christian music in, in the radio. We made up songs and they'd sing in the back seat. Um, and so they're, they're reading out loud to you. And so now you have this on electronic devices. So the word and worship music can go into you 24 hours a day and into your kids. It's a lifestyle you lead, so stop being so hard on yourself because you got five kids running around, you know, one standing on their head in the corner and one in the toilet and, and one in the tub, and you feel like, I can, I'm just, your spiritual life is not on hold while you're raising children. I remember one time, um, Pastor Josh and John, now John was generally the instigator and because he was the oldest and, and he would, and Josh was very smart. He didn't always follow. Sometimes he observed, even at a very young toddler age, mm, that doesn't look like that, that's going to work out too well. And so John was sometimes on his own, but generally John was, you know, the instigator of fun and, and involved Josh in it. So one time they're in the bathtub and they're about probably two and a half, three and a half. So they're old, old enough to kind of bathe. Uh, without me staying right there because it, it always involved, you know, us all being soaked, their bathing. And so I remember I let, the door was open and I went to the room to do something and I hear this giggling, but it's intermittent giggling. It's like, hee, 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 you know, evenly spaced intervals. And I think, uh, this is different. So I go back, you know, from the bedroom into the door. John has gotten out of the tub. He's standing in the toilet bowl, facing the tub, and with the cup that they were to, you know, rinse the shampoo out. He's scooping water from the toilet bowl and throwing it onto Josh in the tub. <laughs> and it's, hee, you know, hee, and I'm watching it. And so, so many things. They were very hard to discipline. Because they were very, very good kids, and yes, they did get a plenty of discipline. John, John, mostly for talking. Uh, 
<laughs> incessantly. And uh, but so, so most of the things they do were just you didn't know whether to discipline them or just be like, you know, laugh. And uh, so they, they did a lot of those things. But our, our personal fellowship and our, our time with God was just kind of a 24-7 the way we lived. They watched um, a lot of the Christian movies that, that you have today on DVD. They, they had VHS. And so that we had all of them, thanks to their Aunt Melanie who bought them those series. And so we watched those Christian cartoons and they watched Bible stories and they read the comic books. So our fellowship with God was a family. We, we didn't do this. Uh, you can't watch this. Go to bed. Mom and dad are watching something that's not okay with you. I had to watch Disney movies all my life. <laughs> The only thing I watch today that they're not interested in is like, okay, Pride and Prejudice, you know. Yeah, chick flicks, they call it. But we didn't have a double standard. It was the standard of the word which applied to all of us. So there was nothing that they couldn't do with us. Uh, and so we, took, we were able to take them everywhere. If we went to a restaurant and we were talking two or three hours, they weren't screaming and crying and pitching a fit and throwing their macaroni on the people on the table next to them. No, they, they, were, they, were, they were taught how to behave wherever we were. They were absolutely delightful. We could take them any, anywhere when they were growing up. And so we did things together. So your kids can do things. They can serve. They can be, they can be a part of your life. We don't have to have segmented lives, segregated lives. So your personal fellowship time as a mother or grandmother um, should not be hindered because you have children to raise. Teach them how to develop their personal relationship with God. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 20. Remember these commands I give you. Keep them in your hearts. Write them down and tie them on your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as a way to remember my laws. Teach these laws to your children. Talk about these things when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write these commands on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. So basically what the Lord is saying is your conversation, your conduct, what you're looking at is 24 hours a day, seven days a week is about the Lord, is about the word. I w- was raised, my mom, she bought, we bought, you give us a Bible probably Easter, you know, nine ten when we could read. And uh, she taught us that we had devotions. You'd go in your room and read your Bible. So I didn't know that wasn't normal. And so we raised the boys that way. I told them how, how to have a relationship. Kids aren't born knowing how to have a devotion. So you get them a Bible and you, you sit down and first you read it with them and then they get their quiet. That's the private time they had was morning devotions before or after breakfast, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And then as they got to be teens, we got them the cool teen Bibles. So they had to develop their own relationship with God, but it wasn't just like go in there and pray or read the Bible. We had to not only model it, but we had to literally hands-on instruct them the ways that they would do that. And it wasn't burdensome to them. It was normal to them. And so one thing I, I would encourage you in is uh, I'm not a writer. I can only write under the, under the unction of the Holy Ghost and the anointing. I don't like to write my papers at LCU. Um, and I'm not a, I don't keep a diary, and I'm not a journaler. But a few years ago, the Holy Ghost prompted me to uh, get a journal and start writing some things down because he had a lot of things that he was telling me. And, and so I bought myself one. Of course, I love time. If you know me, you know that time is my most valuable commodity, one of my favorite subjects. And so uh, I had been writing in another just spiral notebook, and uh, on my way to uh, the celebration of the home going of my spiritual father, I was on a plane, and I wrote these things down in the, the, the hardback cover of this book. A mother and a grandmother's legacy to my children and grandchildren. The words in this book are true. They were sent from heaven for me and for you. 
Eat them and you will live. How do you eat words? What you open your mouth to gets in you. Say them out loud, often believe them, and you will receive them. They will get in you and then flow through you. Your life will always move in the direction of your dominant thought. The pages of this book in the years ahead up until the rapture, I will continue to record my father's sayings to me. May my children and grandchildren be blessed. P.S. Most of this came to me in church. So I've written many things that the Lord has said to me, uh, not only for myself, but just conceptually, you know, through the word and the spirit. And I began to record all of them down and I went back through all my notes and I compiled them. So this book will be the bedtime stories that I'll be reading to my grandchildren, my father's sayings to me. And those are the spiritual things that are going to remain. And I wanted them to know where those things came from. They didn't come because I had a diary or journal and I wrote, you know, by my bedside lamp at night or in the morning, most of them, and I would say 75% or more have come sitting in the house of God. They either, they generally come during praise and worship. It's generally on Sunday night when the anointing is stronger. And I'm talking years and it did not just this church, a lot of it. And I write the date and the location that I was in when when that saying came to me and, and wrote it down. So moms, grandmothers, the Lord has much to say to you for you to say to your children. And so some of the legacy you leave because impartations come through two ways, through the laying on of someone's hands and the words of their mouth. So he has much impartation for your children and grandchildren. This is not about being some sort of spiritual giant or some sort of minister. This is a life of a mother, a grandmother, or a mother-to-be, a legacy, that, that just older women teaching younger women. The impartations are going to be the life you live, but when you're not here, it's the things that the Father said to you. Now, some of them they've, they've heard, and much of what's in this book they have not heard, or maybe it was heard once and, and forgotten. So I know that's maybe an odd thing to encourage you, but um, you know, when the Lord says something to me as a pastor's wife, it's for all the women that want it to flow. So there's nothing that he gives me that's not yours for the taking. If you just say, that's mine, I'll take that. Take it with faith because it belongs to you. Because anything God gives to us is to flow through us. Yes, I'm blessed by it and I can receive it, but freely I've received, so freely I give. So if you want God to say some things to you, you're going to have to have this ready. I have this ready all the time. When I'm writing in church constantly, I'm not making my grocery list. Um, now, if something comes to mind that I need to pick up on the way home, I will write that down because I'm very practical because <laughs> it'll leave my mind and be like, oh, what was that? Um, but I'm, I'm writing those things because the Lord, here's what the Lord told me. He was talking to me years ago and he said, and you're not writing it down. And he said, because you're not writing it down, it shows me that you don't honor what I say to you. And I will not speak to you about these things again until you can honor me. Now, you may think that's harsh. I don't think that's harsh at all. God just speaks plain to me. I'm like, get to the point. Uh, don't, don't be still looking for that bush you're supposed to beat around. And so uh, I made sure I had a book in my purse, a, a book you know, where I do my devotions, a book, my bed, a book that I could access or a notepad at all times. So anytime the Lord wanted to say anything to me, because what I was doing is saying, going to bed or whatever, I'll remember that later. I'll write down that I wasn't remembering it later, even though I have fantastic memory and fantastic recall. Um, so get something. If you want God, if you're one of those people that says, God, I want to hear your voice. I want you to talk to me then go by faith and get a spiral notebook at the dollar store and a pencil and don't ever put it down. Keep it by your side because that says, okay, God, I'm actually ready. Because when I start my devotion, I say, Lord, what do you have to say to me today from the scripture I'm reading? I pull on heaven with faith for revelation and I'm ready to underline. I'm ready to write. I don't just say, God, talk to, God, talk to me. I'm, Daddy, I'm ready. 
I'm ready to listen and I'm ready to write down what you say because that's a sign of, of honor and respect. When your boss speaks to you in a staff meeting, you don't come into that staff meeting without pen and paper. That's the first thing they're going to ask. You don't show up to school. The teachers will be like, what do you think we were doing today? What do you mean you don't have a pen and paper and a book? And so we've come for instruction. And not just for ourselves, but that all those that are behind us and all those that are around us might receive that instruction. Why? For the race. Because we're runners and we need fuel for the race. So I asked the Lord for a blessing uh, for you last night. And this is the poem that he gave me uh, for mothers. I say, this is God talking in the first person. I say, she laughs at the future with nothing to fear. She believes that I am always near. She laughs at the cold for her family is clothed with my word and my spirit for all who come near it. She laughs at the night. She knows my light has made all things right. She laughs at passing time. She knows eternity waits at the end of that line. She laughs at doubt. She knows even mustard seed faith counts. She laughs and lasts for all eternity. She lives in, for, and through me. I gave her the last laugh. She laughs with me. Happy Mother's Day from God. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. The, the Holy Ghost led me to lay hands on the women, but here's how I want to do that, because he was very specific. That uh, obviously, if you're here and you're related, mother and daughter, I want you to come up, come up together, you know, as, as families, whether it's mother or daughter, daughter in love, and um, stand next to your, your family member. For those uh, ladies that don't have their mothers with them, or I want the rest of you to come up and you pick one and you stand by them, and we're going to pray for one another, and I'm also going to lay hands on you as an impartation. Because when God says something like that to me, that's what basically he's asking, uh, he's telling you he has for your blessing. He wants you to start laughing a whole lot more, a whole lot louder, and a whole lot more often. Uh, all the things ahead of you that, you that weigh on a mother's mind, a grandmother's mind, and all these things that weigh heavily on us, that's how God, from this moment in time, Mother's Day, May 8th, 2016, he wants you to deal with it. Laugh. Laugh at all of that. Laugh at the cold. Laugh at the night. Laugh at the future. Laugh at, at time speeding up. Laugh at everything because God's given you the last laugh. And he sits in the heavens and he laughs at all that. So if you're going to navigate the rest of your, your days a time successfully as a wife, a woman, a mother, grandmother in this society, you're going to have to learn how to laugh at all those stuff. The devil said, what? You're going to have to learn to laugh. 